0: Hello and welcome to episode 467 of the Yellow Warpods. I'm Jörg From Wotzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund playing in the Champions League against PSV. We will also have a quick review of the previous two Bundesliga matches but I think the main focus is safe to say will be on the Champions League today uh, since it's a bit of a short notice. We'll try to keep this short and sweet. Matthias Zuk is here with me. Hello Matthias, how are you doing?
1: I am doing well Stefan, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm a bit knackered from the weekend. I've also been out sick last week, hence no show. <laughs> so apologies, but uh, I'm 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 back uh, and and healthy. So um, I'm I'm excited uh, to talk about uh, Borussia Dortmund and the upcoming game. However, uh, Matthias, as I said just now, uh, we didn't discuss the Freiburg games <laughs> as you just said in pre-pod. I've no recollection at all other than it was a good game, three nothing win. Uh, Freiburg had. Uh, backline reminiscent of Dortmund's backline where they had Witzel and Pongratzic uh, in the back, so safe to say it was relatively easy uh, to beat those centre-backs and their entire uh, injury-riddled uh, backline. I think what will stay from this game more than anything is is probably the uh, substitution of uh, Matteo Moret, uh towards the end of the game and uh, his actual first game in front of a sold-out Westfalen general, in front of fans period because if you remember he arrived in Dortmund during the Covid times and uh, had a very long long injury over a thousand days out and uh, yeah to to make it back to make this comeback uh, very very emotional Um, Matthias if you don't recall the game too much I, I think you can recall this moment right?
1: Yeah, it's always great to see a player that uh, really suffered under injuries like he did. Because, I mean, like he had a comeback and then he immediately got injured again. Um, kind of reminiscent of, you know, Gio Reyna, who, you know, played, got injured, played a little bit and then had a really long injury. Um, Royce had that a few times and it's, it's always great to see them come back. And not get injured right away, <laughs> um, and so no, I mean that was kind of the, um, as we'd say in Germany, the I-Tupfelchen, you know, the the dot above the I, uh, cherry in the win. on top, yep for the for this match to to kind of add that to it because uh, like you said, Dortmund played really really well, uh, Freiburg made it really really easy for them. Which didn't help, which is, you know, and it's still Freiburg. So, I mean, Freiburg, you still have to respect because it seems Dortmund either blows their doors off or loses. Like, there's very little middle ground in these matches against Freiburg. And I'm glad it was the former, not the latter. And Dortmund looked very comfortable. Donnie Mahn played very, very well. Um, Needless to say, he and Niklas Füllkrug are probably the two most informed players since the winter break. And uh, it's, it's just been great to see Um, because Daniel Mann, even in the first half of the season where he wasn't as great as the second half of the season, last season, he was still pretty consistent and pretty good. And now it it seems like he's just kicked it up another notch uh, right when Dortmund need it.
0: Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't available for the game against Wolfsburg due to knee injuries. I I presume, uh, and obviously, I don't know, um, because he said before the game, at least that's the story, that he felt uh, his knee a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think Dortmund were relatively confident they would get a result out of Wolfsburg without him. And he was available, he was on the bench. But um, considering the magnitude of uh, tomorrow's game, I think Matthias that it wasn't the wrong idea to to give him a good amount of rest to have him in, in full health available and yeah it was a one all draw against Wolfsburg and the the less said about this game the better um to be honest uh, I'm still not amused about Andrejans post game comments that uh you know the fan protests should stop because uh, they're feeling disrupted you know what watching your game disrupts my beautiful saturday where i then have to uh be mad about it for however long i am mad about it so um yeah just shut up um anyway matthias um i think i think it's fair to say that this is uh very much a forgettable game dortmund took the lead um, but then never really imposed themselves on the game uh and yeah just the difference between voicebook having healthy defenders that uh run at pace and Dortmund struggled to get in behind them and, and Freiburg uh, beforehand and uh, yeah the fact that it was a road game also quite uh, telling again because I feel like the difference between Dortmund on the road and away uh, was once again showing but yeah I don't really want to get into it too much um because uh, as I said we have um, a very important game tomorrow and uh, apart from that Dortmund are still in 4th position after this match day, so everything is okay-ish, I guess. Uh, They play uh, Hoffenheim, Union Berlin and Werder Bremen next in the league, and that should be all games they can win, whether they will or not, we'll see, since Dortmund's brand of football is very topsy-turvy right now, uh, I must say, but we'll see. Matthias, um, PSV, when Dortmund got the draw, I think we all were at first happy that Dortmund did qualify first in the proverbial group of death because it is on paper somewhat easier draw. However, they are, of course, the league leaders in the Eredivisie and are also unbeaten so far under the tutelage of old Dortmund favorite Peter Bosch.
1: Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> uh you know it's it's funny these are the kind of stories that sports tends to write um and even in a big global game like uh football they it's how often it's, it's amazing how often uh clubs and former coaches do end up facing each other even if they go to a different league uh no p s v are playing very very well um I haven't watched a Divisie now in a in a while but i try to watch it as much as possible just because I find it a technically
0: interesting and
1: and fun league Um, you know and and it from one season to the next it can be so disruptive I mean think about it at one point Ajax everyone thought are they going to get relegated now they're fifth um, and you know they're I, I wouldn't be surprised if they qualify for Europe granted it would be the Europa Conference League which would just be kind of hilarious um, whereas PSV they are playing incredibly well um i would say overall the league this season isn't as strong as it's been before competitively Feyenoord uh the defending champions they're 10 points behind PSV and they've they've also been pretty inconsistent uh the fact that uh FC Twente is third and and i really don't like FC Twente because sure. they are club uh, friends, friends with Schalke. So I root against FC c twenty as much as humanly possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the Eredivisie season's very odd, very unpredictable. I mean, Vitesse-Anheim are last and they're usually playing for Europe. So it's it's an odd season. That's not to say that PSV don't deserve to be where they are. They are clearly the best team in the Netherlands right now and they are playing that way. Um I can't recall. I'd have to look it up how they played in the Champions League, um and what who was
0: in their group exactly. But well first of all, they made it through the qualifying rounds because yeah. they beat Sturm Graz, then they beat Rangers. Um they um they lost four nothing to Arsenal, a two all draw against Sevilla. Then uh they had a draw and a win against Lens and beat Sevilla then three to two away and a one all draw against Arsenal. So I would say that is a pretty formidable group and a formidable group stage to come out of. Obviously uh Sevilla as as per usual Europa League bound <laughs> to do their thing, um but uh, yeah nevertheless um i i would say it is a it is a pretty decent run um now what i find very interesting is that uh in the Eredivisie they are averaging 3.14 goals per game <laughs> and uh are conceding uh, 0.45 goals per game or per 90 and uh, if you compare that with their champions league run still impressive averaging 1.17 goals per game and uh, conceding a little bit more i think it's 1.67 uh goals so so they have a negative uh, average if you will um so that is that is sort of my my hopes that for the day that uh PSV's form <laughs> in europe not being quite as strong as as uh, in their domestic campaign uh, is sort of where I'm I'm clinging onto, because form-wise it is, to me, quite obvious that uh, PSV are streaking hard, meanwhile Dortmund not so much. Sorry you if know, I interrupted you, by the no, way. No, no,
1: no. I mean, the advantage that Dortmund have is that PSV are coached by Peter Bosch. <laughs> and Bosch, unlike Niko Kovac, because Niko Kovac had the typical Niko Kovac uh, match against uh, Dortmund in the sense that you know, he had Wolfsburg really um uh, I mean they they committed 18 fouls. You know, their main job, they wanted to disrupt any type of buildup and rhythm. Um they also played an insane amount of long balls. Now, where Bosch's Eindhoven will excel is trying to disrupt Dortmund's buildup through high pressing. But not really through long balls or um, through, you know, a lot of fouls and just kind of that more negative aspect. I, I think they'll come at Dortmund very aggressively, completely. And with that, they will leave themselves open without the shadow of a doubt. There will be huge opportunities for Dortmund to exploit PSV in a way that Dortmund would excel. I expect Dortmund with Terzic in this match to come out ceding possession to Eindhoven on purpose. I think they'll just go, we're going to sit a little bit deeper, we're going to sit a little bit back, and we're going to let Eindhoven have the ball a bit more. In the belief that they can then get around the press, and then knowing it's a Bosch side... They can exploit the huge amounts of space that will odds be left behind. And then, with the likes of Mann, Sancho, Bino Gittens, players like that, uh, just with the sheer pace, they have Ian Matson in there as well. Um, I, I expect Dalton to have plenty of counter attacking opportunities. Um, especially when you have someone like Füllkrug who can then hold up the ball and let those other players run off of him. Uh, I think Dortmund will have plenty of opportunities. It's just a question of, can they succeed in their build-up play? Because if they try to build up like they did against Leverkusen, now, Leverkusen are better than Eindhoven, in my opinion, and better coached than Eindhoven, uh, it'll be a very long long evening in the Netherlands for Dortmund, but I I wouldn't be surprised if Tezus says, no, we're we're not gonna open up gaps behind us, because that's gonna be a huge problem just because of the way PSV like to play. Now granted, um, Dortmund aren't exactly slow defensively, um, which helps. But uh that's kind of the way I see it. I mean that's how I would probably approach it, knowing that Peter Bosch's sides like to be uber aggressive and leave acres of space that Dortmund are built to exploit. So I I think that's the most natural path for Dortmund forward in this one.
0: Well, my main uh, hope is that Dortmund uh, show a similar face they did show in the group stage because that was very mature Champions League football just as you would like it from a team that is a regular participant and that the nerves get to PSV a little bit um, to be honest because... It is it is going to be uh as as you said, probably just that way that Dortmund will seed a lot of possession. Um, will be um probably line up a very low block. Hopefully not the way they played at PSG. Um but uh nevertheless I, I think that is probably the, the, the correct approach and uh hopes are definitely that Daniel Malin can uh, uh yeah shred his former side to pieces and uh yeah. Really, really exploit the weaknesses that you just mentioned of a Peter Bosch team that we have uh, uh, painfully <laughs> learned to, uh, ourselves. So um, yeah, I'm I'm also excited to to learn a bit about this P S V team because I haven't seen much of them either, and I think that is what makes things so so interesting about the Champions League. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. Um, it's it's good to know that Donovan Malin is probably going to be a- available now. I was really hoping that Ad- Adeyemi, by the time Champion Seeker rolls around, would be fit again because he, of course, with his speed, is such a weapon, um, especially on European nights where counter-attacking spaces um, can be exploited maybe a little bit more. Um, I th- I think that would have been that would have been even better. Um, unfortunately, uh, he also would have been probably the main weapon against uh, Wolfsburg as well. If if we had Adeyemi's pace, I think Dortmund would have managed to find a way to score. Um, But that all being said, um, if I would make one tweak to the lineup, uh, (laughs) I think I would put Mats Hummels in there instead of Niklas Süle, uh, because you just talked about the build-up. And I think uh, Hummels A being uh, probably better... Now, from from a long flu that he had, um, I I think he's just better suited than than Nicolas Zula uh, when when it comes to to uh, that one pass that can un- unlock uh, a side like uh, PSV because uh, Niklas Zula I don't think he has it quite in him on on the regular as Hummels so um, that would be my my hope and demand because let's be real from our midfielders we don't really expect that. Uh, Julian Brand had a terrible game against uh, Wolfsburg, but I do think that's also down to him um, being under the weather for quite a while. He said he lost like a, a pretty significant amount of weight. Um, so that goes to show probably that he was pretty strained and uh, is still trying to uh, <laughs> regain his form and, and, and fitness. And maybe uh, the, the Wolfsburg game in that regard helped him uh, for the PSG game. But uh, yeah... I don't know who I would drop for Marlon, but obviously uh, I think he he definitely needs to start. um I don't know what your setup is if it's a four three three system or if Dortmund stick to the four, two, three one. but how would you approach this game?:
1: Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you want to do. If you play a four, three three and you put someone in that six spot, you can kind of try to contain a player like Malik Tillman uh who's pretty good. Um, you know, he's had a decent amount of assists and goals for PSV this season. Now, obviously, one of the main things is dealing with the physical nature of Luke de Jong. Uh, Luke de Jong is the he's going to be the starting striker. He's scored nineteen goals so far for PSV and eight assists. I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot, and he's he is an uncomfortable dirty, mean striker. Uh, actually, the kind of striker I like when defenders go up against and it's just kind of a physical battle. And I think that's something that someone like Niklas Süle and stuff like that will will actually thrive in. Um, yeah, Füllkrug... Uh, uh, uh,
0: D- Luke de Jong is, is sort of a Füllkrug-esque type player. Correct. I think they're very similar.
1: Yeah, I'd say he's, I mean, he's obviously a bit slower. He's also a bit older. Um, and I think that's the kind of striker... That overall, um, I think someone like uh, Zulu will deal with better than if it's like someone coming off of the wings at super pace like Leroy Sané or somebody like that. Um, because he's not going to try to break at pace and break the line. That's not his style. Um,
0: yeah, but I similar th- to, to Fugruki, he has a lot of yeah. pace around him with, with Kayoko and and uh, Lozano. Oh. So.
1: Lozano is very, very dangerous. Um you know, the, Bakayoko, very dangerous, when he plays uh, Teze at right back, very dangerous. Um, Viamman is their top assist giver, uh, and he plays <laughs> kind of in that double pivot. So if you were to play a 4-2-3-1, you can kind of try to man-mark Viamman, uh with your 10 and then try to keep him out of the build-up play a little bit because a lot goes over him, or the right wing. So clearly um, most of their buildup is either on the right or then through Feynman, Tilman De Jong kind of centrally. You need to shut down ideally both of those axes. Um, I think given the strength for PSV on the right-hand side and seeing how Dortmund is on the left-hand side, Matson won't really be hurt for pace. That's where, in my opinion, you need to have someone ahead of Matson who's very good at pressing. (laughs) Obviously, in my opinion, that's probably a Marco Royce, But he doesn't have the pace anymore uh, that he used to have. But in terms of tenacity and pressing, he's he's right up there um, and also deals well against the press. That's the other thing you need to have in this lineup against PSV is that you can deal with the press. Now, I will say... That, uh, in my opinion, the by far weakest side for PSV is their left side, because you've got Pepe and Sergio Dest. Both are players I don't value very high. Yes, they're U.S. national team players. Yes, that's a coincidence. But I just don't think they're that great. Um, I think Dest is defensively a liability. I think Pepe is very streaky. I mean, the fact that he's not very high in goal scoring or assists for them, I think says a lot, but he has started every Champions League match. Same with Sergio Dest. And so my assumption would be that they're probably going to start. Now, you could they could, you know, throw a loop in there and have you know, Lozano and Bakayoko maybe both start, even though they're both nominally on the right handed side. Um, but Given how they've played in the Champions League so far, that's not usually the case. Pepi and Dest tend to start on the left, and that's Dortmund's right-hand side. So you've got Rias on there, and then whoever's on the right with Donnie Mann. Donnie Mann against Serginho Dest. I will put money on Donnie Mann every day of the week absolutely because Serginho des isn't great positionally he pushes up too far and that i think is the most likely place you could exploit psv and so i'd put Donny main against him any day of the week
0: yeah i mean the way i would exploit dortmund is simple just press Emre john every time he gets the ball um <laughs> and i'm pretty sure that's uh, peter bosch's plan as well i really hope that uh Dortmund play a very calm brand of football but uh, they have really struggled this season whenever they've been pressed immensely and uh, we know that uh, Peter Bosch's teams do that Um, so that is going to be a a massive concern and I'm uh, (laughs) not looking forward to that aspect so I really do hope that Dortmund's um, distribution is good and uh, my hope is a little bit on Ian Martzen that he can uh, be an outlet uh, whether that means he drifts more into midfield or uh, has switches of play because there is something very important against teams that press high that you need to get the ball across to the other side of the field quickly and know where your teammates are so hopefully whether it's Daniel Malen or Sancho whoever is on that position um, does that now Question, Matthias, um, would you start Jane Sancho in this game or would you bring him off the bench um, considering how Sancho performed against Wolfsburg which uh, was a little bit uh, loose, I want to say, with <laughs> with possession but uh, nevertheless very threatening together in tandem with Ian Martin also over the left side, I think that still created the most chances um, or would you would you drop uh, Julian Brandt instead who really had a terrible game and uh, hope that um, Sancho, uh, yeah, does does uh, press a little bit better than he did against Forsberg.
1: So I mean, I'd want to see Brunt start no matter what, but I'd want him centrally, uh, just because Dortmund need a creative outlet to play the types of balls that you're talking about, quick switches mm-hmm. to the other side, and I think Brunt is one of Dortmund's best players to be able to do that accurately, consistently. Um, in terms of what I want Jaden Sancho to start. I think I've kind of already leaned out the window a little bit and said I'd prefer Marco Royce to start. Yeah. Um, just because I trust his defensive capabilities and his pressing and pressing resistance more right now than Sancho, who's still getting into the flow of regular football again. So I think if you have Jaden Sancho come off the bench more rested, that's as a change of pace to bring him in for Royce or Daniel Mann. And then you have Jamie Bino Gittens coming off the bench as well in that type of change of pace. Um, I, I, that's, that's really where, in my opinion, Dortmund can then outshine the PSV, is their depth in those key posi- attacking positions. Um, so personally, I'd prefer to see Marco Royce start. Um, but and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jadon Sancho starts on the bench.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I think that's very very important to point out. Um, that either way, I think Dortmund will have good substitutes that can decide the game in the last twenty twenty five minutes or so. Uh, it would help if we uh, have maybe a more uh, attacking substitution uh, if possible and not <laughs> a shan <laughs> like like in the voice book game, which uh, yeah did not call for it at all. Um, but yeah, Matthias, uh, that is what I'm thinking too. Now, we should uh, probably also mention, uh, especially for people who don't watch Dortmund as frequently, uh, that uh, Sebastian Allaire, um after winning the Africa Cup or while winning the Africa Cup, once again tweaked his ankle and will be out for several weeks, which is why we're here talking more about Füllkrug and Mokoko, not Allaire, because uh, as, as, as beautiful as it was, um, him winning the Africa Cup, and I think uh, he really needed that also, mentally needed that after uh, what happened last season in Dortmund Um, and and just in general uh, I mean beautiful moments and I'm just really happy that that he was able to to win this tournament with uh, his goal contributions just uh, an amazing story Um, but unfortunately he is uh, not going to be able to thrive off that momentum and and plug it into Dortmund just yet because of this uh, very annoying injury so, um, yeah, unfortunately, I think that is that is uh, a big miss. However, um, as we said before, Foukouk is in excellent form right now. And so I hope that he, he does a really good job. And otherwise, I think things are pretty set uh, as far as Dortmund go. I don't think there are too many variables. The only question is how lucky their finishing is. Because uh, that is obviously... Um, very important in the Champions League that you have to be clinical in front of goal. But so far in the Champions League campaign, I w- I want to say that Dortmund have done this quite well. So um, at least in that from that point of view, I'm optimistic. And now I think it's time to talk a little bit uh, about uh, the importance of this game because uh, I think Bild wrote it um, that uh, if Dortmund reach the quarterfinals. They will be guaranteed 10.6 million euros from UEFA. Um, the pot will obviously increase if uh, RB Leipzig uh, can advance against Real Madrid. And uh, I'm not a betting man, but it's looking good. Uh, Leipzig did lose the first game, were uh, screwed over by refereeing there a little bit as well. But you know, uh, as long as Dortmund has screwed over, I don't really care. Uh, since Leipzig uh, in itself is is an inception of cheating, so um, they can just fuck right off. And um, on top of that, Matthias, we haven't really discussed it yet, but uh, there's a good chance that if Dortmund make the uh, next round, make the quarterfinals, they could participate in the 2025 Club World Cup, which, of course, has a new format. Uh, It's been expanded to 32 teams and uh, is a bit of a World Cup... Setting or format uh, like the like the usual World Cup used to be before that had been expanded, and we have uh, several groups and several countries, and obviously the UEFA has the most slots. I think they have like twelve slots or so. Um, but yeah, there is going to be a bigger tournament uh, with the the biggest teams from from all continents, and um, I see this as a big money grab on the one hand, obviously, but on the other hand, Matthias. Uh, first of all I want Dortmund to profit from that money grab <laughs> but on the other hand I'm actually really excited about this um, mode of, of the Club World Cup because uh, Dortmund of course did win the Club World Cup in uh, 1997 or 1998 uh, depending I think it was 98, uh, uh, right um, against Cruzeiro uh, uh, in the uh, yeah in, in Tokyo just uh, amazing times um, Matthias, like I said I'm all for this competition because I really like seeing different teams go against each other from different continents uh, and the more the merrier, to be honest uh, what, what's your opinion of, of this format?
1: Yeah, I mean it's conflicting for me because on the one hand it's just like you said, it's a money grab it's more play, more matches for players to play thus you are you know shortening careers an, again further uh just cuz there're only so many miles you can put on those tires um uh, that being said i think having a 32 team format um that includes more clubs um especially from south america and then um europe in particular a few from asia a few from africa maybe um, and then you know, I don't really care about North America. Um <laughs> ironically. Um, you know, I mean maybe you can bring in Monterey and that would be fun. But I could care less about an MLS team making it. The the format itself, yeah, it'll be more interesting, it'll be more engaging because right now the Club World Cup is kind of a, you know, it, it tends to happen in the middle of the night, no matter apparently where you live in the world. Um, and it's, you just see it like on an app or something. Oh, this team won. Cool. I mean, I remember when Dortmund won it back in the nineties and, uh, you, you were ap- actually able to watch it, but the hours were absolutely horrendous. Well, um, it wasn't,
0: it happened in Japan. Yeah, so in yes. Japan
1: in the evening. So it was just cause for, for decades it was in Tokyo, um, which is just, an interesting venue to pick for uh, basically South American and European clubs to face off against each other, Um, like making nobody happy. (laughs) Uh, So it was always kind of like, oh, yeah, these this team won it. You know, I I feel like it used to mean a lot more uh, than it's kind of tapered off. It's just another trophy um, without much meaning. I think this adds some meaning to it, some prestige, Add some more money to it, so it means more to clubs and players in that aspect. I mean, on paper,
0: Dortmund's win in the Club World Cup is Dortmund's biggest win in club history, right?
1: In theory, yes. But I don't think anybody would argue (laughs) that the Champions League victory is the biggest win. Uh, And then probably the European Cup Winners' Cup uh, after that, uh, just because of what it meant for the club and where the club were at that point in the 60s. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Club World Cup, cool, won it, awesome. Cruzeiro were great. I mean, Brazilian football in the 90s was just amazing. Um, So that was cool. It was a cool factor rather than uh, something, you know, you're going to walk around and make fan hymns and chants about. Um, Whereas Champions League and stuff like that is a little bit different or significantly different. Now, doing it in this format, I think fans will care more. Uh, They'll be more interested because you'll draw in more fans that way versus just from one European club and one South American club and an Asian club and an African. You know, it's I think expanding like this is probably the right thing. I like it. I, I prefer this over them having bloated the Euros and the World Cup and adding the Nations League. I this I find more interesting than what they did with those national team tournaments.
0: Yeah, so it would go down in the United States between June 15th and July 13th, and uh, for the AFC qualified are already Al Hilal and uh, the Urawa Red Diamonds, uh, the winner of this year's iteration of the AFC Champions League, um, will of course participate in the best eligible team in the uh, accumulated uh, four-year ranking, and this is... uh, pretty much similar for, for the Africa Cups, so it's Al-Ali and uh, Casablanca, and uh, Conquer it's Monterrey, Seattle, Saunders, and Leon. And uh, we will get from, from the ball we'll get Palmeiras, we'll get Flumin- uh, Fluminense, and Flamengo. So these are already awesome teams to have. Uh, <laughs> we'll get Auckland City, and uh, from Europe, confirmed our Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man City, Bayern Munich, PSG, Inter, Porto, Benfica, and the rest is tbd so uh the uh the, the german league has one more slot to fill uh based on the four year coefficient and uh, it is looking good that dortmund will snag that spot so um yeah uh i i think it's it's a very consequential game tomorrow uh for dortmund and their future so hence uh, this podcast and uh, obviously the uh the influx of money if dortmund make it past psv um will will be huge so um just from that standpoint um whether dortmund will have a good transfer window next summer will obviously also massively depend on whether they re-qualify for the champions league or not um but uh, i would say that uh, a lot of money will be earned or lost in in this particular game and just from that standpoint alone it is nice and uh, let's be real the bundesliga season um it's not the most exciting one from a Dortmund perspective so if we can make a champions league run somehow that would be awesome and uh, on paper Dortmund have a good team if everyone is healthy <laughs> and uh, can can make a bit of a run um also have a very good counter attacking team which i think does help and uh, as uh, proven previous um in this group stage uh, they know what they're doing in the champions league um obviously needs to be proven again tomorrow but uh, overall i'm i'm quite optimistic for now and and hopeful that dortmund actually can uh yeah, reinvigorate uh, their very empty pockets <laughs> that uh they still have from the pandemic etc so yeah that's all from me matthias if you yep. have anything to add <laughs> no
1: i mean i agree with you and you know i just was looking at the bundesliga table right now i mean overall the bundesliga this season it's interesting. It's
0: We're 17 uh, points of the lead. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of points, but uh,
1: don't want to. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot. I mean, they're not going to become champions. I think if you look at the table right now, <laughs> I think the three teams in the bottom three are going to be the three teams in the bottom three after 34 match days between Cohen, Mainz, and Darmstadt. It's just going to be a question of probably between Köln and Mainz uh, who joins Darmstadt and being directly relegated I don't think anybody else will slip into that I feel pretty confident in Frankfurt finishing sixth Um, you know Bremen are up right now but I think they're going to drop Freiburg have been inconsistent as has everybody else behind that I think the only real battle is for third fourth uh, Champions League I think Stuttgart will have a few more slip ups so it's going to be Stuttgart Dortmund Leipzig there and believe it or not, I I think Leverkusen are going to win the Bundesliga this season. I just given how how consistently good they are and gathering points, and Bayern have now lost three matches in a row.
0: to in well, the league, granted, one in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, I know, but still, three in a row losses for Bayern. That's like losing twenty in a row. Um, and you know, we were kind of messaging about this uh, over the weekend. And I always thought, you know, okay, Tochel is going to be three years at Bayern because after three years at the latest, clubs tend to get tired of his shit. And so do players. I mean, personally, I think after the summer, he's no longer employed at Bayern München. I and, was going
0: to ask you, Dortmund faced him on March 30th. Do you mm-hmm. think that Thomas Tuchel is then still on the coaching bench at Bayern?
1: I think so. I mean, I saw an article today in Kickout where they talked about, you know, one of the reasons why Dugel is even still a manager now is because there are no options. Who are you going to replace him with? That that actually would be a good coach. There's nobody out there right now. Uh, they, I would love for them to bring Hansi Flick back because I just think that would be hilarious. Um, but they're not going to do not
0: they have man still on the books, theoretically? Basically,
1: they're still paying pretty much everybody. Um I think oh, my Hitzfeld is still available. But uh, <laughs> your
0: Pank is question. Yeah.
1: Pick. Yeah. Um uh, well not Carlo Ancelotti, so no, I I think um I, I personally believe this is Leverkusen's season to finally win uh the Bundesliga. Um, As a Tottenham
0: fan, mm-hmm. uh how how annoying is it that everyone makes fun of the Spurs curse with Harry <laughs> Kane going to Bayern?
1: I mean, that's that's kind of bull crap. They brought in Eric Dyer. There's your Spurs curse. Um,
0: <laughs> I I, th- I think no. they are <laughs> just no the it additive. has nothing to do with that.
1: I think it's they're basically paying the price for the Zeli Hamidzic Khan era and um, kind of the, the tail end of the, the hunis rumeninge era where long-term recruitment just wasn't good. Um, yeah, they've brought in some good individual players, but there's just no cohesion there. I think if Bayern would stick it out with Toche and he would be able to have influence on recruitment, I, I think they would do well uh, personally, but I just don't see them having the patience to do that. Uh, and we can't forget that Tuchel is an extremely grating personality who wears players down. You know, I mean, Mourinho kind of has that too, but Mourinho in every club he's been, he's also had those players that would just like take a bullet for the man. I don't think there's anybody who will say that about Thomas Tuchel ever um, because he just tends to annoy everybody. Um, and so if there was a better alternative on the market, I think Thomas Tuchel would have lasted 14 months at Bayern, and that's that. Uh, as it is, I think they're going to... Unless, of course, you know, things really go off the rails now. Um, you know, I mean, personally, if Bayern are halfway intelligent, they will stop starting Upsamecano, because that guy's just been costing them points after points after points. And he was already that problematic at at Leipzig. Um so, but they also have a thin squad, a very good squad, but it's very thin, especially defensively. And they've also been dealing with injuries. But um, yeah, I think the Bundesliga is, aside from one or two little f- battles here, I'd, I'd say the three, four, five, and then, you know, we finished 16th or 17th. Aside from that, the Bundesliga is going to be pretty ho hum this season. They're going to be fun matches to watch, but as far as the table goes, it's not really going to be. Super exciting, in my opinion, because I don't see I've... Leverkusen just dumping points now.
0: No, probably not. Um, it it needed to be it needs to be a real epic collapse for Leverkusen to to lose this championship race. But you never know; things it can is, it tighten is up. It is Leverkusen. <laughs> yeah, it is Leverkusen. So. It is Leverkusen. But um,
1: Xabi Alonso, I think, isn't a typical Leverkusen coach. So that is, I,
0: that is correct.
1: And they they have you know with players like of Chaka in there I just don't I don't foresee that happening
0: well what I also find interesting is just speaking of Jabi Alonso where he ends up next obviously his long-term future is not at Leverkusen and so is it going to Bayern be Bayern or is it going to be Liverpool I'm not too sure what uh, Real Madrid are doing but uh,
1: well Real Madrid extended with Ancelotti so exactly. I mean he's going to be at least around another season the fact that Liverpool will be available this summer, and odds are Bayern will be available this summer. Trust you me, if Bayern would have a chance of getting Xabi Alonso after the season, they will 100% fire Tuchel. I mean, they will they will not hesitate. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Tuchel ends up in Anfield, personally. Wow. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens um
0: <laughs> succeeding club yet again yet
1: again yet again you know you like out remember remember back then i said you don't want to be the guy to follow the guy
0: <laughs> i i remember it, w- it was one of your most iconic yellow world lines because you are correct about it and and at liverpool i wouldn't want to follow
1: Jurgen in are you kidding me you know and it's kind of funny because that would be as not directly the third time Jörn Anderson was in between Klopp and Tuchel at Mainz, but kind of the third time. And that would just be hilarious.
0: For the lols,
1: that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> All right, that show actually went on longer than I foresaw. Uh, so thank you very much, Matthias. Uh, we shall be back. I hope, uh, fingers crossed, I'm going to be uh, on the up and up again after this match uh, I don't know, you probably not be available and last is probably still on vacation so it might actually be trickier than I thought but I'll think of something um, in the meantime, Matthias uh, thank you very much for coming on and lending your expertise it was fun talking about the black and yellows even though it would have been more fun had they won in Wolfsburg 2 but uh, let's hope they can turn things around in the Champions League again Until next time, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.